0: Welcome to Thinking Through Autonomy, a podcast to help you understand the promise and impact of autonomous land and air vehicles in our world. I'm Ken Dunlap, managing partner of Catalyst GO, taking you on this journey. Hear and read more at thinkingthroughautonomy.com. Now it's time to take your hands off the wheel, foot off the pedal, hand off that throttle, and let's go. Welcome to this edition of Thinking Through Autonomy. In this three-part series, we're talking with Israel about innovation and creativity. In part one and two, Israel defined innovation and creativity for us and how creativity comes with a downside or a dark side of the force. We wrap things up in part three, thinking through the ways in which we can bring creativity to our workplaces. Israel, we're focusing today on what managers and executives need to think about when they decide to make a commitment to fostering creativity in their workplace. And it occurs to me that maybe not every workplace needs a workforce full of creative people. That perhaps they need to balance the creativity with people who actually have the ability to take the idea and turn that into a product. And I think you, you call this, you have creative people and then you have practitioners. Can you talk to us a little bit more about the identifiable groups of people on the creativity spectrum and how a manager or other senior executive needs to think about how they structure their workforce and their team building exercises and their enterprise to leverage creativity.
1: I've observed four types of uh, groups uh, from the creativity standpoint. The first group of people are the exceptionally creative people. The second group next to it are the creative people. The third group are the competent practitioner and the fourth group are the practitioners. These groups no, there are no clearly uh, defined sharp deline- delineations between them, they kind of overlap each other but nevertheless those are very important to recognize because different positions in the workplace require all of these people. For example, in a research and development area or a very very aggressive innovative company or a company that tries to be very innovative, the HR and upper management would probably be wise to look for exceptionally creative people whether they are engineers or technicians, support personnel, but in this case there will be a high value of having a relatively high percentage, let's say 15 to 20 percent of exceptionally creative people, and also competent practitioners. Competent practitioners are the individuals, let's say engineers, that are able to take certain ideas, new ideas, and implement them in a very reasonable, effective way. So those are absolutely critical to the success of of the endeavor that a given company is
0: pursuing. If I could put it another way, if I'm building a research team or trying to fix problems in a research team, that requires a different balance of individuals than if I have a problem in an engineering team.
1: But, but I, I want to give you another a, a counter-example to a highly innovative sure. company or organization. In, in situations where there are jobs that are highly repeatable, let's say assembly line, let's say in the car, in an automotive industry, or even aerospace industry, the company may be very well equipped if they have the lion show of their employees, being competent practitioners and practitioners, because it does not require a high degree of problem solving and innovation. So uh, it it really is dictated by the type of job that uh, a
0: given company is pursuing. I guess what you're telling us and what I'm hearing is, is that if a company makes a commitment to changing, enhancing, optimizing the creative processes and the creative workflow is not a one-size-fits-all. That you don't roll this out without thinking about the specific job functions, the specific work that needs to be done, and really the impact on the product. Is is that another way of saying that?
1: This is absolutely correct. And it's very important for these companies to give it a lot of thought of the make, as far as creativity is concerned, of their individuals. Again, allow me to go back to a company like SpaceX that I had the honor to consult for for one year. They have, they have hired relatively young workforce, mostly engineers, and many, many of them are brilliant young individuals. They're very creative. They are thinking out of the box and so on, and I think that was the right direction in the case of Elon Musk to, do, to, to take. Uh, other companies that are doing more repetitive work, production work, without uh, the need of you know, blazing the way and being extremely innovative, they can get by and they probably be better served by having mostly competent practitioner, practitioners and some practitioners.
0: Let's say that I'm the CEO of a company, whether it's a small startup trying to succeed, whether it's an established company that's been making the same products for a hundred years. And this idea of innovation and creativity resonates with me. How do you look at your enterprise and decide whether or not you need to change the level of creativity in it? Is there a metric? I mean, if my sales are going down, does that automatically mean that I'm not creative enough? Um, If my marketing people are telling me, Nobody is interested in what we're selling because they think it's boring. Um, It doesn't meet their needs. Does that mean I don't have enough creativity? How do you assess your enterprise? How do you assess your workforce to even decide if you want to start in a major investment and a major effort to um, work on quality and innovation and creativity within your enterprise?
1: Yeah, Uh, let's assume for a moment that uh, somebody uh, wants to start a new company, a new venture, that, uh, that is aiming towards a very, very, uh, let's say, novel new concept. In order to accomplish that, it's not enough just to hire one or two creative people or engineers. The, the founding uh, The founding person or the group would have to look at all the disciplines that are going to be part of this organization. On the technical side, you will need a very high, exceptionally creati- high percentage of uh, exceptionally creative individuals. You will need practitioners in order to help implement and productize what needs to be done. On the sales and marketing, there will be a need of uh, there will be a need for a way to take this uh, new innovative product. Yes, novel product, and present it to the to the customers, potential customers of the marketplace, in a very innovative way. It's not it's not like selling uh, I don't know orange juice anymore. It is a new product. It's across the board, so it will have to be in the technical side. It will have to be in the sales and marketing side. It will have to be also in the HR side, human relations, because the way the human relations department will manage and deal with the workforce is going to dictate whether this workforce is going to be committed and willing to invest and, be, and do their best to bring their creative uh, input or after a while they're going to become compliant and quiescent and just you know, go with the flow, collect their salary and everything is fine but it's not necessarily going to accomplish the goals uh, of the company.
0: Your comments should be self-evident to startups, should be self-evident to young companies that are starting their journeys and rolling out products and services to market. But we know those companies, they come and go, but there are survivors, there's the mid caps, there's the large caps that are out there. Mm -hmm. I guess I'm, I'm really interested in knowing if you're one of these big, well-established companies, how do you know if the time is right? How do you know if you need to be more creative, more innovative?
1: I think it all comes down to competitiveness. So if a given company, especially the bigger ones, the, the institutionalized ones, if, uh, if they continue to produce the same product for many, many years, decades, and provide the same services to their customers without any change, after a while, they are under a real threat that somebody else, more aggressive, more innovative, will come and start to put a very steep competition. So, how do you know? If you start to, to see that your business are threatened and your bottom line is, uh, is being reduced uh, gradually, but over time, definitely it's a, it's a good indication that the company ought to start looking in, into changing you know, their mode of operation. And one area is the innovation, the creativity and innovation. If the company doesn't continue to maintain their competitive edge, after a while, they may survive, but they are going to fall back.
0: If I'm the CEO that has had the alarm bells ringing, finances and, and says, hey, these numbers are not right, and I make the commitment to bring innovation and creativity as a focus into my workplace, is that all that's needed? I mean, does an edict by a CEO naturally foster making changes in innovation a material thing that actually happens in the company rather than just something that's talked about?
1: Yeah, when, when you're talking about the edict, the, the first thing that comes to my mind is this uh, old cliché, I guess, that the way to hell is full with good intentions. If an owner of a company makes a decision, makes an edict, we're going to be more innovative as a company. What does it mean? The devil is really in the details. If this, if this company doesn't put in place very specific measures that the whole, comp- the, the whole workforce uh, understands the goal and how the company intends to do that, how it be- intends to become more creative and innovative. It doesn't mean anything. Those are
0: empty words. So let's talk about that a little bit. Let's talk about that as it relates to, to hiring practices on the HR side. Tell us a little bit more about that, Israel.
1: Yeah, so, so we talked about Uh, First, having to identify the type of uh, creative talents and uh, the level of creative talents that different companies uh, would require to accomplish what they intend to do. Allow me to go back to a few basic requirements, in my opinion, that I've observed over the years. For example, often it's required for a company who aspires to be an innovative company to come up with a very well defined approach or strategy of securing and protecting their intellectual property such as patents, trade secrets and so on and how to actually exploit it in the marketplace. What I have seen, there are some companies that talk about innovation everybody talks about innovation, every company in the world is innovative, or they think they are, but they don't have a clue what to do with intellectual property. So let's say for a moment they have a very talented workforce, very creative, and they start to to prepare to submit some inventions that are based on their new concepts that they have proposed or advanced. If this company doesn't somehow make sure that those inventions are protected, exploited, what is the point of retaining these people in the long run? It's a good good way to have patent attorneys writing patents, perhaps, or marketing people talking about things, but if you don't really protect this intellectual property, in the
0: long run you didn't do anything. And then presumably you're wasting your time on the rest of the exercise. You're wasting your time and you're wasting your money. Let us assume that we actually have protected our IP, that we're getting and extracting value out of that IP. What's the job of human resources in all of this? What are the foundational things that HR needs to do to change the innovation and creativity culture or enhance what's there already, quite
1: frankly? First, the job of the HR department, from the creativity standpoint, is to work with upper management in identifying the type of creative individuals and their level percentages that their their company needs. So you're gonna balance
0: your workforce and balance your teams.
1: Yes. Second part of the HR is to actively go out and find these people both the competent practitioners, exceptional creative individual, creative individual, you know, just to put in, fill up that uh, uh, HR puzzle for the company. The third one, which is, in my opinion, one of the most important one, is to put a culture in place where individuals or the employees are feeling vested in the future and the well-being and success of the company. More specifically, we have in the United States a culture where we are very risk averse. We make mistakes, especially in research and development. It doesn't always turn out to be the first time. HR has to work with management and indoctrinate their employees that it is okay and it is important to be open and communicate and share their uh, errors and failures. Because people uh, learn from errors and failures and if they keep them to themselves and try to make sure that they look good or they're not embarrassed, it's not doing anything for them. So I think
0: what you're saying is failure is an option.
1: Failure, okay, failure is not as desirable as success, uh-huh. but it is essential to be recognized and be dealt with and, and learned from. And
0: tolerated.
1: And tolerated, okay. tolerated. The other area that HR has to, uh, to be involved with is to develop well understood career uh, planning for their people. And there also has to be a system, uh, uh, equitable system of reward. If somebody is doing a, a very good job and contributes significantly to the company, he or she needs to be rewarded somehow. Show me the money. You say that. <laughs> okay. Maybe the employees will be willing to work on coupons. You know? <laughs> okay. Yes. Yeah, so, uh, the other, the other area that HR and management have to insist on and really in, uh, introduce it into the, uh, to the workforce is the need of engaging multidisciplinary teams. Instead of having this lone individual inventor, genius in, in, uh, inventor that sits in his cubicle and comes up with these incredible algorithms, most of the time, the biggest inven- the, the the most significant inventions can come out of teamwork
0: and doesn't this imply that you actually have an office environment absolutely. that helps helps with that
1: absolutely but but uh, the office uh, or workplace environment it's not it's not only the attitude often uh, more progressive companies such as apple and bmw they structure the building, the place, you know, uh, in a way that people are encouraged to congregate and interact with each other. Hallmark cards Mm -hmm. are the same way. They have a communal area where the artists and engineers and you know designers of you know the cards, they come together, they talk, they play, and in the process, much
0: they become more creative as a whole. So this commitment to change and, and innovation, it's going to change the way your workplace looks and feels Definitely. if you do it properly. Definitely. So this is not a lighthearted adventure, is it? No. There's going to be big changes in the workplace.
1: Yeah. And, and I think and uh, what you are really trying to do is transformational. And it's really uh, being able to transform the culture okay, and adapt the culture of a, of a given company which includes the innovation, creativity innovation that we are talking about.
0: Now, one of the things that I've observed is that group dynamics are very important. That when you put a a series of creative people together with a series of practitioners, maybe you've created this crucible for a lot of hard feelings and a lot of stifling of innovation, which you lead the reader to believe you need to have a different way of handling ideas and uh, diffusing conflicts and putting in a repeatable structure where everybody feels that they have ownership in the end process. And and, you know, that's called a lot of things you refer to it as group ideation, but can you tell us what Israel Stahl's flavor of group ideation looks like?
1: Yeah, but before we go into the group ideation, where I'm going with all of that is I believe that the most effective way to have a cohesive functioning workforce is to tribalize it. I always come back to the tribalism because humans, our are, are are people, are, it's a species that wants to feel belong, belonging to something and if management is able to take the employees and feel that they are together, that they can work together, collaborate with each other, build upon each other towards a goal, I think the company, the chances of them succeeding, at least in the creativity area, are much enhanced. Creativity has to be fostered and encouraged. It doesn't come from nothing. And, and by putting these people together, I think that's the way to do that. Now, you, you, you talked about group ideation. Group ideation. <clears throat> That's one of the most powerful tools of developing uh, new ideas. Instead of having individuals be, be, becoming the sole inventors, uh, often taking the, the creative uh, abilities and the different perspectives and expertise of different individuals and make, the, make them collaborate is often is more effective in coming up with very, very good uh, solutions to different problems, which are inventions.
0: But that's not putting the right people in a room and closing the doors and walking away, is it? I mean, don't they need to have some sort of tools to guide them uh, on these discussions and the the interactions?
1: Yes, And, and that gets into the area of who is facilitating these interactions. Uh, you cannot just throw a, a bunch of people into the room and say, "Well, just solve this problem." Uh, most of the time it is important that somebody has experience in facilitating those sessions. Often those sessions are more than one. Sometimes they can be several. But the, it, it is required to it is important to facilitate those sessions. It's important to record the outcome, the notes and the outcomes and recommendations out of sessions, and at the end also decide who is going to do what. Delegate the task, follow-up tasks and so on, if a decision is made and a certain idea or ideas are identified as the most promising and warranting further pursuit, whether it's further demonstration, evaluation and or development.
0: Now let me ask you this, because group ideation is, quite frankly, a big business in this country. Yes. There are books. There are, in fact, huge multimedia studios available that you can rent for tens of thousands of dollars a day. Mm -hmm. In your experience, is it really required? Or I, I would put it this way, is there a big benefit to going to a big studio? Or can you do this stuff yourself? I I
1: think most of the time uh, it's perfectly okay to carry out those uh, brainstorming group ideations in a comfortable office at the workplace, where most people are familiar with. You don't require really high-tech technology to to carry those out. what you need most of the time is a slide pro- projector, you need, you need uh, flip charts, you need whiteboards to exchange ideas and good, uh, effective facilitation. So but I don't think that those, uh, those uh, studios, high-tech studios, are necessar- necessary to carry those ideation sessions most of the time.
0: I want to turn the focus of the last couple minutes of this podcast to the idea of benchmarking progress, taking assessments of whether or not your commitment to, say, ideation, to changing the creativity and the innovation culture in your workplace can be measured at all. How would you measure that? How would you benchmark it? How do you know if you're really making an effect on the organization rather than people coming up to you, slapping you on the back, and saying, boss, this is the best thing that's ever happened to our company, this is great. How do you, how do you establish where you are and where you need to get to?
1: Yeah, I think there are, there are two tools. One is to employ quantifiable uh, decision-making uh, matrices uh, that are established uh, with criteria that are identified by t- different team members that participate in certain projects uh, focused on solving a problem or problems. So the decision-making metrics is one tool. The other approach, to answer your, qu- your question more specifically, is to develop the, what I call the CCQ. It's the, it's a, I call it the corporate creativity quotient and that's a tool where, which enables a given company to periodically benchmark themselves against best-in-class. And this, this, uh, this uh, CCQ is derived again based on criteria that are, are chosen by management of a company, as well as some senior employees of this company, and then they, diver- they, they choose criteria that they render as important and as influential in determining the corporate creativity of their company. And if they do it periodically and consistently, then over time they will start to be able to develop some trends and identify specific areas that
0: require improvements. So essentially what you're telling us, it is possible To take this transformation, to take this corporate commitment to putting creativity and innovation in place from an art to more of a science. And things like the CCQ allow that body of metrics to be available to really tell you how you're doing.
1: I think it goes a long way towards helping companies to accomplish that, but again, it requires some work. Uh, Each company if they decide to use the CCQ index or you know, caution, we will we'll need to develop the criteria but once this set of criteria are being established by a given company, that comp- it, this, this uh, set will belong to the company and they will use that uh, set, this matrix, to uh, establish the CCQ periodically and identify ways of how to improve their creative output.
0: Well, Israel, our podcast is drawing to a close. I wanna thank you for being a great guest. I wanna thank you for all the insights you've given us on innovation and creativity. Um, You are always welcome back here to to talk and uh, thank you very much.
1: Thank you, thank you for having me.